This week's podcast is brought to you by the State of Online STEM Education in the U.S., an upcoming national survey from the Online Learning Consortium and the Every Learner Everywhere Network. The survey will explore the online STEM landscape through the lenses of faculty, institutional leadership, researchers, and policymakers. Please sign up and take the survey at studyinput.com. That's studyinput.com. Schools nationwide have shut down to flatten the curve during the coronavirus pandemic. That's where we're at these days. Just about everything is closed to help slow the spread of COVID-19. And so lots of people, including me and my fellow reporters here at EdSurge, have been looking at how well teaching is going now that it has suddenly shifted online. And while academics are certainly important, school is a place for so much more than just learning, as we all know. It can be a reliable source of two meals a day, a refuge from an unstable home environment, or a way to access counseling and other mental health services. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, how much school means to so many. And I've been wondering how the children who depend on school for those additional services are getting by, now that seemingly everything in the country has grown to a halt. Welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Emily Tate. Last fall, I spent a few days in Southwest Ohio, where I reported on a specialized preschool program for kids who have experienced severe trauma. These are kids who need the very same services I'm talking about, meals, stability, protection, mental health services. You may have seen our story earlier this month in Ed Surge or the PBS NewsHour, which co-published it. You might also have heard me talking about it on a recent episode of this podcast. It was just a few weeks ago, but I reported that story before I had even heard of the coronavirus. The program I visited is called the Therapeutic Interagency Preschool, or TIP for short. It serves three, four, and five-year-olds who have been abused, neglected, or otherwise mistreated. Some have seen parents become violent with each other or watched adults use drugs. As a result, about two-thirds of the kids are in foster care or live with a family member other than their parents. And all of them experience some variety of behavioral challenges and developmental delays. To combat those delays and reduce kids' trauma symptoms, from anxiety and depression to aggression and dissociation, TIP staff use a combination of services, including one-on-one mental health counseling, a hallmark of the program. Children in TIP meet regularly with one of two licensed counselors on staff, to talk through their experiences and build skills to overcome them. So when the coronavirus hit the U.S. and Ohio Governor Mike DeWine ordered the closure of all schools statewide, the staff at TIP had to scramble to come up with a plan. How would they ensure their kids got fed? Would they have to stop counseling sessions? Would the TIP kids slip further behind? Ashley DeBrosey Ferguson, the director of the TIP program, and Jenny Minnick, one of the mental health counselors on staff, were gracious enough to make time to check in with me last week about what this crisis has been like for them and how they are managing to make the most of an incredibly difficult situation. The first person you'll be hearing from is Ashley, the director of the program. So when did this virus start to creep into your lives, into Ohio and the TIP program? Did it happen slowly or all at once? Really, for the longest time, we we didn't think it was coming close to us. We, we knew it was out there, but then the second it started getting closer and closer to the United States, that's when we started going, hmm, I think it's, this is going to be a bigger problem than we realize. 
Um, and then what about mid-March there, um, or at the beginning of March, I think that's when we started kind of thinking something's gonna change. This is gonna affect our programming. And I would say in the span of that week before we um, DeWine offered or um, said that schools should close, we knew something was about to happen. So we all started brainstorming pretty quickly. Um, and, and it was a lot of trying to close the door in the office, listen to the addresses and try to come up with the plan just in case until he finally said the school should close for extended spring break. So how did it change the operation of your preschool? What does school at TIP even look like right now? Well, it's, it's kind of sad that week after um, DeWine had schools close, it was just the site manager, myself, um, and even I think Jenny and Jasmine, the counselors, were at home at that time too. Um, we were kind of scrambling to come up with that plan of, we, we normally have kids in here every single day face to face. And we had heard and toyed with the teletherapy thing um, to help Jenny and Jasmine still get that billing for Talbert House. But it was still that thought of, can we really do this with preschoolers? And that, that was something that we kind of kept coming through. Are we going to have to make days up? And coming up with a calendar for um, job and family services to appease them, of making sure we fit our contract days. So it was a lot of, what, what do we need to do and scramble real quick? And there were a bunch of us together in a meeting to try to come up with what's, what's possible here, but not knowing really when the when the end of this is really gonna happen. So we're planning for an indefinite amount of time. <laughs> so we're, we're trying the best we can, but there's still that sense of anxiety of we have no, long, no clue how long this is really gonna go. The Ohio governor announced on Thursday, March 12th that all schools in Ohio would be closed beginning Monday, March 16th. When I spoke with Ashley and Jenny, their preschool had been closed officially for about a week and a half. Every day last week seemed like a week long trying to figure out how, how do we help families. And then the next problem was we, have, we work with families mainly in poverty. So we want to figure out how can we best serve them and getting food out to them and working with Shared Harvest and getting all of these plans set up very quickly. It, it, it seems like a lot, long, a lot more time has passed since then. So you were weighing, you know, your options and whether you could do teletherapy and sort of how you'd be able to deliver the um, normal services of the TIP program in some sort of remote or virtual way, um, what sort of solution have you arrived at for that? Well, I work for Talbert House, which is one of the largest mental health agencies in Cincinnati. That's Jenny Minnick, a mental health counselor at TIP. And I don't think they've ever been faced with a situation such as this. Um, every day there have been daily communications by our CEO and um, their original plan of action was business as usual. Now, more than ever, is when our clients need the counseling services, and there are lots of adult programs and outpatient programs, so those doors continued to stay open. But, of course, for our program with very young children in a collaborative nature, we had three different programs trying to come together to try to make TIP you know, work in this situation. So we got um, continuous updates from our agency, from Tabard House, letting us know what was going to be acceptable uh, practice um, as the use of telehealth was just kind of unfolding for us. 
So it presents some interesting challenges with three, four, and five-year-olds. Um, and it's been very interesting. Can I talk for a minute about some of the some of the sessions I've been able to do so far? Please do. So the um, there were several platforms offered to us to use. The the one um, I think that they really were preferring was Google Duo. And as Ashley mentioned before, our families are families of poverty, but they do all seem to have you know, cell phones and tablets. So this was a really easy platform for them to use and most of them already had it. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting things I have found out since starting to do some sessions uh, is just, it, it's very different. The kids have had a hard time settling down and getting um, into the mindset of actually doing our talk work is what we typically call it with this age group. And having a guardian or parent in the room with them has also shifted the whole demeanor of the session. Um, as we all know, children typically tend to act differently when they're around their parent or their adult than they would in other settings. And so when typically they would be, um, they would listen to me, follow directives, engage with me, they were really struggling to do that um, because they were, some of them tried to engage the parent and I in a power struggle to see like, which one of them is gonna correct me? Um, so there was a lot of time spent just getting acclimated to the platform. They wanted to show me around their room. They wanted to show me pictures of the backyard. They wanted to ask me where I was because they could see in the background, you know, where I was sitting in my home. So the first sessions, were a lot of just almost getting reacclimated, um, rebuilding that rapport that we had. Minnick's office, housed within the tip building, is filled with colorful, sensory-oriented toys, tools, and props. This includes things like dollhouses and sandboxes, which she uses for play therapy, and games and charts that help the kids identify and explain their feelings. These have all been really helpful in getting the kids in the tip program to talk about and work through their trauma. Thankfully, I was able to bring um, home with me a lot of the tools that I use. So I was able to show them visuals of things that they were very familiar with. And I think that kind of helped draw them back into the, um, the right frame of mind to actually do a little bit of counseling. So it's been interesting. This week was my, really my first week of using telehealth. I'm hoping sessions next week go a little bit more smoothly and that we can actually get some good work done. But these first sessions have been interesting because I've been able to ask each of them how they feel about school being closed, about not being able to see their friends. And they've all had really interesting responses to that. So I think that in itself was therapeutic. What were some of those responses? I mean, obviously this disruption is hard for anyone. And I would think especially so for kids who have been through what some of the tip children have been through. Yes, it has. Their, their responses were all over the place. And it was interesting because the children I feel, you know, I've worked with most of them for at least the entire school year so far. Some of them I've had last year. So I know them very well. And it was interesting because the responses I got were not the responses I was expecting. Um, some of the kids were excited to be home. 
They were glad to be spending time with their families. Um, some of them were really upset about not being able to come to school every day and being, um, a couple of them were angry. They didn't understand why they couldn't come. They wanted to know what their friends were doing. Um, one of the little boys I work with that I thought was going to be just the prime candidate for telehealth. He did not want to look at me every time he got his face in the screen. He, he just, he just couldn't engage with me and his mom was sitting right there. And um, I feel like that might've been part of it. But when I told him that two of his best pals in his classroom were also doing this with me from their homes, he got a little bit more interested in getting engaged with me and he wanted to know about them and how their sessions went and what they talked about. And I feel like what we're missing here is that universality, almost like of group therapy, you know, so that's one of the prime components of a group therapy session is universality. All of the members of that group feeling like they're a part of the same thing. And because we're all in our own homes and we're all in different places, um, this one little boy I'm speaking of just recently was reunified with his biological mother. So that's all new to him too. And I feel like the key component we're missing is that connectedness of, of universality of all of us feeling like we're together and grownups can do that, but that's a really advanced concept for a child. And they all feel like they're, I think like they're just tethered in space and they're, they're not connected to us. And it's been really interesting to see their reactions and their responses. Here's Ashley again. And usually they get that time together, that group therapy time in the vans or at their meal times, big time, or during their center time play or the gross motor play, all of those things that they would normally get at their school or in their, during their daytime, those conversations with their teachers or when Jenny comes into the classroom, those are all just suddenly poof, not happening anymore. So it's a big and even. And even more so than the actual being in the same room all together, I think just knowing that they're all in the building, when I come to get them and take them out, they know what's going on. Um, but yeah, Ashley, your point of them all being together and having those conversations, mm -hmm. um, it's, this is just such an advanced concept for a child of this age, and they just don't get it. They just don't understand. Oh, yeah. Mm. After the break, we'll talk with Ashley and Jenny about what they're doing to make sure kids and Tip are safe at home and how they're making this new arrangement sustainable for weeks to come. This week's episode is brought to you by Every Learner Everywhere in partnership with the Online Learning Consortium. They're running a survey of the online STEM landscape. I asked the survey's leader, Devin Kinsilla, why this national survey is so important for the future of online STEM education. And what we realized is that there's a real opportunity to kind of drill down a little bit more. So instead of generically about just online education and people's thoughts and, you know, beliefs and is it good, bad, you know, indifferent kind of thing, is saying, you know, we really don't understand the STEM education and the aspects of STEM education online. And so what this is, is kind of, uh, you know, a, a spinoff of that, if you will, to kind of better understand, because really... To my knowledge, no one knows. Um, you know, we have a lot of kind of ideas and a lot of thoughts and a lot of, you know, kind of experience and anecdotal type stuff, but you could certainly, 
you know, throw down the gauntlet and say, we know a lot about MBA programs online or, or English degrees online or, you know, nursing degrees online, but we really don't know that much about STEM education in, in kind of all its forms. You can sign up and take the survey at studyinput.com. That's studyinput.com. Now back to the episode. So my understanding is that for uh, many kids, the TIP program is a refuge, right? Like it's a safe haven from an otherwise maybe complicated yeah. or fragile home environment. But the situation we all find ourselves in now is that people's home environments are even more at risk. You know, there's a greater chance for um, anxiety and depression, suicide, substance abuse. How are you thinking about that? And, and are you doing anything extra to support them and um, prevent a regression? One nice thing about this, this, um, this is a new aspect for me. This is Jenny, a mental health counselor at TIP. Because the sessions are taking place in a virtual capacity, you know, the telehealth, and the grown-up who's responsible for their care is right there in the room with them in most cases, it also has allowed me to get a little bit of a better bond and connection with the caregiver. Um, they're asking me for ideas and interventions. What can they do to continue to build on what the child was doing in, in counseling sessions? They are kind of, when our session with the child is over, they get on and they want to talk longer. And it's almost like a therapy session for them. And that's a piece that I really miss um, the way we've advanced in our program. That's a piece for me that has gotten lost along the way. I have phone conversations with them and we exchange emails occasionally, but I'm really kind of enjoying being able to see their faces, talk to them about what they can be doing at home with their child to continue to build the skills we're working on and actually kind of giving them each a little bit of counseling in addition to the counseling with the child. We have a lot of families that are out of jobs now because they worked in food service or, you know, a job that was not considered to be an essential service. And so their anxiety is ramped up and some of our parents are recovering, you know, are in the process of recovery from substance abuse. And I feel like any shoulder, any, you know, any port in a storm, any ear they can get to them and, empathize with them. This is just a really neat opportunity for me to do that. Just a heads up that Ashley has a two-year-old daughter at home who was playing in the same room during our call. You might hear her in the background here. Yeah, and sorry if her magnets are too loud back here, but it's keeping her occupied. <laughs> and kind of what's funny about every time Jenny talks about the way the kids are acting or taking it back to those home visits is, um, how the kids are acting is pretty common with when we do home visits. It's just different because we're not there to have the kids and families feed off of how we're calming our bodies down and getting things under control. So it's even harder for Jenny, but um, I know our teachers immediately jumped into action using their class dojo and they went after some of the families to connect with them immediately. Um, some of them didn't even wait until that following Monday. They did it that Friday, Saturday, or Sunday after schools closed. Um, so that they could communicate with the families and say, I'm here for you, let's get in contact. Um, we have a plan as an agency for Head Start to do academic packets beginning the week of April 6th, 
but our teachers aren't even waiting for that. They're going outside with their own kids and creating their own learning opportunities and having parents reach out to them with anything. And the families are really enjoying it and going back. And um, Andrea specifically has been sending me little examples of some of her families that have been responding well to it. And thank you for posting this. We didn't know what to do with this kid. He's driving us crazy. It's already been four <laughs> So it's kind of how we're all feeling at home if we have our kids at home right now. It's, it's only been a week and my hair's going to fall out. <laughs> but um, we have a plan as the agency to do those packets. And we thought, let's do the same for mental health piece so that while the teachers and our family service worker and Jenny and Jasmine are contacting families, we're dropping off at their front door packets for two weeks at a time that they can be working on that the teachers and Jenny can also jump off of and help them make those connections and how to make it work. So uh, we initially started that with the intention of just tip and mental health consultation families would be getting those, but other site managers made the, I mean, it's a right to say, but they said, I think all of our families need it at this time, including us. So we're just making mass copies of kind of this little lesson plan curriculum in addition to the academic stuff, um, the social emotional piece or things that like conscious discipline making a safe place in their home, um, trying to get those to our families so that while we don't know how long this is going to go, they're still getting some support and some strategies and some skills that they can use in their home to help make it a little bit easier for them. You know, I, I realize you guys are still just adjusting to these um, new options and still trying to iron out the wrinkles, but given that there may not be a near end in sight and this, especially for tip where it's year round, um, do you see the kind of new arrangement you're trying to get to as something you could do for a few months? Like, is it somewhat sustainable? I, I think for now, Jenny, about sessions, I think it's going to change the way that we do even outpatient sessions from here on. There are big breaks that we've had naturally in the past, um, but it's a nice thing to have in place just in case something catastrophic ever happens in the future. But um, it, I think the biggest piece is just that actually that face-to-face -face contact. That's, that's the hardest part right now. Yeah, I, I feel like um, definitely best of care, best practice would be our face-to-face -face counseling sessions, and there's nothing that's going to substitute that. However, I do feel like this was good for us to learn how to do um, for things like snow days or times when, you know, school is closed for some reason and we can't go in and do it first, you know, face-to-face, -face. Um, even in our two week breaks at the end of the school year before our summer session begins, I can bring children in for outpatient counseling sessions. They're still coming into my treatment room, but for something like a snow day or um, if a child's home sick or something, I could still see being able to do a counseling session um, in this way. And again, I think I'm really going to look at what I can do with more parent engagement using this platform to have some time to talk to parents about, you know, try this intervention, say it this way. 
I could do some in-the-moment coaching. I can do some PCIT-type things with them um, in, over telehealth. And I, I think this is just kind of expanding our world a little bit, mm-hmm. even though it seems like everything has closed down. <laughs> I think this has opened up some opportunities and maybe some other options for us. Yeah, well, that's nice silver lining then. Um something to have a little bit of hope for. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add, Ashley? I know you had mentioned you guys were doing a lot of different things, but I want to make sure we covered it all. Um, I think the biggest part is we've had a huge overwhelming response with the food distribution and um, especially our families with no transportation, they're sending people to come and get these big boxes of food from shared harvest. And we have, I think, six different locations, and it's two different times for two hours at a time, but the lines have been down the street every, at just about every summer. Wow. And I think the one that I helped with last week, we gave out, I'm going to say almost 500 boxes of food that day, and I was very sore the next day, but <laughs> um, they, they're still at it yesterday and today. Um, the National Guard was actually in up at Shared Harvest earlier this week to help pack those boxes. Um, because they're they're trying to cut down on volunteers and keeping it under ten people in a in a room, um, and only doing what's absolutely necessary. So that's that's been different this this time around. Um, what about you, Jenny? Is there anything else? I'm definitely hopeful that we'll be back in school at some point, and because we are year round, we'll be able to catch up with everybody when we can see them in person. But you know, for right now, it's a learning curve for everyone, and I think everyone's dealing with it with a lot of grace, and um, we're doing our very best to provide the services our families need, and um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again to kind of get that out there, that that these types of services are really, really important during something like this, and we're all just trying to find our way through it. And, you know, we've found some things that are working and we're going to capitalize on that for sure. Especially for this age group. So I think that that happens a lot, even when they can't come to preschool is that people like Jenny, they can still do this work with three to five year olds. And it's important that we do that work with this group. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like all things considered, you guys are, you know, making it work out of a really tough situation. And that's definitely uplifting. This has been the Ed Surge podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll be featuring more episodes like this one, where we check back in on people and programs we've covered in the past to see how they're navigating the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This episode was edited by me, Emily Tate, and produced by Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening.